Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 to 12. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders, and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory, and wisdom and thanksgiving, and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Joel, for the reading of the scriptures as God's word is so powerful, and when it's read well as well, and connecting with the word is a powerful thing. And uh, this passage in Revelation 7-9 is a, is a beautiful passage. And as we dig into it today, uh, you're going to see that what we're calling for and what we're looking forward to is something that is not just here in Revelation. It's from the very beginning um, all the way to the end of what God wants for his people. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you again for you. Thank you for the desire you have for your people, the desire to worship you, to love you, to know you, and to make yourself known to all the nations, that you would draw people to yourself, and that you would use us as your instruments and your vessels, and the ability to shine that light, no matter who we are, where we come from, what we do, we are, have the ability and privilege to be image bearers of you, so would you give us Jesus? Would you give us the Holy Spirit? And would you give us the digging of your word, knowing again the way you're calling us to live? We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as Eric introduced, thank you so much. Uh, I'm Ben Zing. I'm the pastor of evangelism and community at Central Prez, uh, which is right down the street from you guys here. And one of the things that uh, I had the privilege of, uh, of knowing is that this is a church plant of Central Prez, but having the opportunity to see you guys continue to grow and now be an independent church. And now we get to see the ways that we get to partner together. And a lot of times when I see all the updates from Central West End, uh, it's like seeing all the ways that, again, what Central wants to be, uh, the mother church, and now seeing you guys as partners, really growing and seeing, wow, look at the church and look at what it's becoming and all the things that we're aspiring to be at Central Press, we continue to look forward to. And one of the movements that are happening in just not just our church, but in our denomination, because we're all part of the denomination of the EPC, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, is this desire to see this picture of Revelation 7-9 in our denomination. And we're aspiring to it. And seeing your church do that, again, it's an encouragement to me, as well as an encouragement to what God's doing in our nation, as well as in the world. So I want to thank you and just have the privilege to be here. And just want to share a little bit of where that heart is from Revelation 7-9 and the things that God's doing as that movement, so you can be encouraged that you're part of this movement of what God's doing 
and giving us a picture of Revelation 7-9. So one of the things that, before I came here to Central, uh, I've been at Central for a little over three years now, I was at a church called St. Louis Chinese Gospel Church in Baldwin. And there, it was an ethnic Chinese church, but at the same time, we were very uh, multi-Asian. Uh, you had people from Taiwan, people from Hong Kong, people from Indonesia, Singapore, Malaysia. Uh, so I felt like it was a very multicultural church. You want to call it Pan-Asian or multicultural, but many cultures were within that church. And whenever we embraced that notion, even though it was a Chinese church, when we embraced the notion of how God was showing up in all of our different cultures and we learned through that diversity and that diversity didn't, didn't bring division, it brought that difference and that di diversity that allowed us to see the beauty of God through all of our cultures. That is what we want to see, not just in an Asian context, but in all the context that God has for us in church. So with that, um, we were doing something at the Gospel Church called Perspectives. If you've never taken the, a global training on, on missions, perspective, I would, I would uh, suggest look it up. Uh, there is the online classes, uh, especially through the pandemic, but also in the St. Louis City, there's been a lot of perspective classes that have popped up. Uh, it's a 15-week course that's taught by 15 different missionaries, and they give you a perspective of God's mission, biblically, uh, historically, culturally, and then strategically. And through that training, I remember we hosted it at St. Louis Chinese Gospel Church. Uh, we had one speaker in particular uh, that shared a little bit of this Revelation 7-9. And this is the exercise that he had us do. So if everyone just close your eyes, if you would just indulge me, you close your eyes. And picture us in heaven right now. And we are in heaven and we're seeing this Revelation 7-9 where all tribes, all people, all nations are right there before the Lamb of God, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in our hands, worshiping God. Can you see the beauty of that community? The beauty of all those that are around us expressing who they are in their culture, but knowing that God created that culture so we can express it in that way, but we're united by the worshiping and love of God who's drawn us to that place. Now we're in that place in heaven. Now you can open your eyes, or not open your eyes yet, but now just picture that if it's right now we get drawn into heaven, how many missing people are around you? the missing spaces that are around you. All right, now you can open your eyes. And the thought of this incompleteness of what God wants for his people is the very driving force of what we desire, right? In the great commission and the great commandment, the great commandment of what God says, love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, draws us to God, but then the next commandment, which is just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. That draws us into a relation with God as well as to others, and it drives us to the Great Commission, right? To go. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded us, and surely Jesus will be with us on that journey. And the Great Commandment and the Great Commission drive the very notion of what we want to see that when we're in heaven, we'll get to see that full picture of what God wants of all nations, all tribes, all people. So again, after this, if we go back to Revelation 7-9, if you keep that open right there, and after this I looked, and behold, a great multiple that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And this is our main idea for today. And this was driven out of our EPC task force for the Revelation 
is this. The church, and the church should be a small C and the big C, right? Because our local expression right here in this small C is part of the global church, the big C. The church should depict a diverse group of Jesus followers in age, ethnicity, gender, and economic status, all worshiping God the Father as an imperfect prelude on earth that will be perfectly expressed in heaven. And I'll repeat that one again. That, that was well-crafted by the task force. Uh, the church should depict a diverse group of Jesus followers in age, ethnicity, gender, economic status, all worshiping God the Father as an imperfect prelude on earth for what will be perfectly expressed in heaven. So when we look at this picture of Revelation 7-9, uh, when I talk to people and I share more of this teaching, you can't share just one verse on this and say, God has given us this mandate and it's this perfect picture in heaven, which is a beautiful one, and we get th this privilege of this imperfect picture on earth that we're trying to express. It's not just that Revelation 7-9 that shows the heart of what God wants. It goes from the very beginning to the end. So let's search through that. So if you would turn with me to Genesis 12. The very start of what G God is doing is the covenantal promise he has with Abraham. Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from my country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make for you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and those who dishonor you I will curse. And in, all, uh, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And how important is that so that in verse 2? Abraham wasn't blessed for Abraham's sake. Right? Abraham, I love you and I, I cherish you and you, you're going to be so great and your name's going to be great. And Abraham could receive that and say, oh, it's all about me. I get this great promise from God and it's all about me and my, my next generation and the, the generation after that and they can point to me. And God said, no, it's not about you. I chose you because you're not significant. You and Israel are not great. I chose you because you will show your promise that I'm going to fulfill through that relationship I have through you. And it will point to me. So, so that you will be a blessing unto all those that need to know me as well. Right? So that covenantal promise is not just for Abram, but is for all those that will come to know God through that, that relationship. And we're seeing that it's a call to all nations, right? So in this Genesis 12, we'll see it maneuver throughout the rest of the story here in Genesis, as well as throughout the rest of the Old Testament, as well as into the New Testament, where we just talked about the great commandment and the great commission that Jesus talked about in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And then we get to Acts 1.8. If you would turn with me to Acts 1.8 in the New Testament, Jesus is just about to ascend, and he's come back from the dead. He has victory over death. He has life, and he's telling his disciples that I'm handing over ministry to you. And wait, because I will promise you the Holy Spirit that will empower you to do all these things. But this is the key. Acts 1.8, it says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Judea, Jerusalem, right here in your hometown, right in your context, right in your neighborhood, you're going to know Jesus. You're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to let people know where you're at to share Jesus. But you're also called to go from your Jerusalem to those that are right around you in Judea. And then cross-culturally to those in Samaria. And then to the ends of the earth. 
And the biggest thing that just blows my mind in that passage is that you will be my witnesses. He didn't say, go witness. Go and just share Jesus with other people. He's telling them to be his witness. So what we're supposed to focus on is just our relationship with God, and then we will be God's witness by reflecting, being image bearers of God through how he's called us as his people. And today, too many people are saying that we either have to share this truth and hold on to this truth and and Bible-thump people or tell people that they're not truly understanding the God that we know rather than, again, relationally know the God that loves us and shares with others. So be my witness. And where did that go? Everywhere. You're not supposed to just do it in your neighborhood. You're not supposed to just do it with the people that are like you. You're supposed to do it everywhere. And that extends to then the church as it continues to grow into what the church should be. In Acts 13, it sets up a church in Antioch where they'll first be called Christian too, what it looks like to be the church. And the first church leadership, if you would turn with me to Acts 13 quickly, and I'll read this for us. Now there were in a church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. A lot of times we take these verses and we, we give the throwaway, right? Oh, those are really cool names, and it gives us good historical kind of context. But the meaning behind the people that God chose for this early church, maybe even the first church, there are people in diversity in the leadership of the church. In Antioch, there was a former Pharisee in Paul. There's a former Gentile in Lucian. There's a former Levite. A Levite would have been a priest, a Hebrew priest in Barnabas. There was a member of the court of Herod. He belonged to the government in Minion. And a man of dark skin, Simeon, called Niger. The diversity of that leadership is clearly stated right here in Scripture. And it was meaningful to God. And it was meaningful in the way that he wanted the church to express what it looked like to be his people, to reach his people. We'll see people sent out of Antioch to the rest of the world, and it would be knowing how God created them and to reach out in those contexts because they knew the context that God had created in all those cultures. And again, we went from Genesis to Matthew to Acts to now to the ends where we go to Revelation 7-9. And that picture of the multitude gives a picture of all people drawn together in worship. Um, one of the beauty, beauties of the aspect of that Revelation 7-9, it matches Paul's teaching. And when you look back in a lot of Paul's teaching through the letters, as well as his own experience, Paul teaches against ethnocentrism, right? This notion that it's all about me and all about my culture. It's all about my way of thinking and doing things. And we like to dictate to people what they should be doing because that's our framework of how we should be worshiping. And Paul addresses this very clearly in a congregation that was undoubtedly composed of different people from different ethnicities, both Jews and Greeks. We see it in Romans. Romans 7, 1, and 11, 13. We see a lot of ways that Paul is talking to both Greeks and Jews. Even the setup in, in Romans 1, 2, and 3. He talks about how all of us are sinners. He talks to first the Roman, and then he talks to the Greek. Or he talks to the Greek, and then he talks to the Roman. That all of us need Jesus. 
all of us are broken before God. All of us need that very notion that we are not perfect, and we cannot be perfect. And the only way we can receive that relationship with God is through Jesus and knowing that we can surrender before him. And Paul implores them to live together in love because of the gospel and to sacrifice their own preferences for the sake of others. We'll see that in Romans, right, and all the other epistles. But here we see that the gospel has implications not only for individual salvation, but for corporate sanctification and worship. Believers must learn to live in community with those different from them by following Christ's example and consider others better than yourself. And that leads to the diverse cultures when you worship together, the beauty of that community, the beauty of the image that God has for us in heaven that can be imperfectly preluded here on earth. So in Acts 2, we see the biblical text enumerates no less than 15 diverse cultures at Pentecost. They come to Jerusalem at Pentecost, and they're worshiping together, and all of a sudden they can hear and understand each other by the Holy Spirit that descends on them. And the beauty of that notion is not just that they can hear each other, but the expression of all their cultures are now together, joined together. And again, it's not melding into one culture because they can hear each other no matter if what language they're speaking. But it's the binding of the Holy Spirit that brings that unity. And we see in, Acts, in, in Ephesians 2 a glimpse of this reconciled multi-ethnic community as a reverberation of the gospel because it says, for he, Jesus himself, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus knows, right? God knows that in our cultures, in our people, in our humanness, in our sin, we're always going to other other people, no matter what. If it be race, if it be gender, if it be social economics, even if it's just by the way we look, right? We're going to other. Someone's taller than me, someone's shorter than me. We always others, other people. And God knows that that's a dividing wall of hostility that can come up. But Jesus will break it down and allow us to see how we are called into this beautiful community where each one has its part. They're so valuable together rather than all separate and not seeing that they're the body of Christ. So when we see Revelation 7-9, it's the accumulation of all that put together and the expression of that that's beautiful. I was uh, a youth pastor in, in the Chicagoland area when I first started in ministry. And I would lead a lot of teams for our youth group to, on missions. And we would go to Taiwan, we would go to New York City, we would go to San Francisco, and we would bring a team of youth to kind of just experience ministry, trusting the Holy Spirit, sharing the gospel. One particular year, we were asking, where should we go this summer? And we were really convicted that we shouldn't travel, and we should do something right in our neighborhood. And we found a church planner that was about two, two miles, or no, it was two kind of subdivisions next to ours, so 10 miles, five to 10 miles north of us. So it was right in the, the last church I was in was Wheaton Chinese Lions Church, so it was in Wheaton, Illinois. So if you know Chicagoland area, you know Wheaton is that well-established Billy Graham, very waspy area. And as we were coming into that Wheaton area, God was changing it rapidly as they were bringing refugees in that area, especially with world relief and other things that were happening in that area with especially Hispanics from Aurora right next door. And as God was changing and making people really realize what does it mean to love your neighbor, it was really coming to, to an end. You have to decide, 
are you going to love your neighbor? And as we've met this church planner that was doing intentional work two subdivisions away from us, he was moving into a subdivision that was predominantly Nepalese as well as Indian. And as we, he was moving in there, he himself was Caucasian, but his wife was Asian, and they were just wanting so much to just build this opportunity to, to meet people where they are. And one of the things he said is, why don't you bring your youth group and you'll experience everything that we do in our, in, our, in our neighborhood. I said, okay. So we brought a team of about 10, and the first thing he had us do was just walk around the neighborhood. And as we're walking around the neighborhood, um, we're just like, this is like our neighborhood. This doesn't feel like a mission trip. That house looks like our house. That house looks like our neighbors. And as we're walking and walking, we're just praying. He says, just pray. Pray that God would reveal himself to the neighbors right here. So as we're praying and praying, um, he's sharing with us how God has been working in that neighborhood where they're reaching to the Nepalese that want to know Jesus. And as the, the Nepalese have actually established a church now, it's a church plant that the Nepalese have started. And he said for us to in, in really appreciate what that looks like in understanding how God is expressed in many different cultures, part of the mission trip is to come worship with them on Sunday. So here's my 10 youth with me coming to this church full of Nepalese, and there's no chairs. Everyone's sitting on the floor. The walls were filled with ornate, beautiful tapestry, just like colors that were all over, yellow, red, orange, bright too. In the front was an altar, and they were burning incense, and you could smell it. And as we're walking in there and we're debriefing after the worship, because it was such an amazing experience, the church planner was asking our team, so how was that worship for us? And we were, we were blown away. We, we never experienced worship like that. And we didn't even know if that's right worship. Was it okay to have incense in the church? We come from an Asian Buddhist background where if you're burning incense, you're burning incense to Buddha. But the idea here of them getting tied to the scriptures and then tied in their worship to experience God in the way that they can feel it in their context and their culture was so beautiful because the incense for them was the aroma of Christ. And how much more they can experience that notion of God and the aroma of Christ through incense than us that we don't engage all the senses. Engage in all those aspects of the beautiful tapestry that are full of colors. You know, I'm at Central, so nice and plain so it doesn't distract from worship is right there. That's in our wheelhouse, right? But all the ways that we can learn from each other and grow in that experience of what that looks like in worship, right? In beauty, of what God has. So that is the essence of we are not complete unless we start worshiping and understanding how others worship and grow in that worship and appreciation together. And that's what God's going to bring to us when we're in heaven. But we can experience that now. The more we break down that wall of hostility by not saying, I'm not going to go worship there. It's too different than me. Is that worship right? Learning and finding how God is calling people and drawing them to himself, and we can learn from that. It's the beauty of what God has in store for us. With that, we, I just want to maneuver into a few other passages here, because that was more of our biblical background into where we're going with the Revelation 7-9, but uh, I've already kind of transitioned us here now to culture. So one of the things that I like to do in teaching this aspect of culture is to understand what it means by culture. 
Uh, a lot of this comes from a book called Many Colors by Sun Chin Ra, so I'd really recommend that if you're more interested in this. But when we're dealing with cross-cultural and multicultural ministry, it's important to see God at work in all cultures, not just one. And how important that is is first defining culture. So culture is shared, <clears throat> collective within society, socially learned knowledge, lived experience that helps you navigate the society you live in and provides guidelines for your interaction with others. That's culture, right? And you have culture in your race, you can have culture in your community, you can have culture even in your church, your church culture, right? So it's shared values, shared ways you express it, shared things that you do. And culture is not inherited like a genetic code. Instead, culture becomes layer after layer that's added by our society and our surrounding environment. That's actually from an anthropologist. So collective programming of our mind that distinguishes the members of one group of category of people from others is how we're defining culture. So let's go back to the beginning again. In Genesis 1, 26-28, when God is saying, I've created man in my own image. And when he says man, we know man and woman is there, created in his image knowing that that's an expression of who God is. But when we see that, he gives a mandate. He says here, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And that's usually known as the cultural mandate. The command to exercise dominion over the earth, subdue it and develop its latent potential. God calls all humans as those made in his image to fill the earth with his glory through creating what we commonly call culture. So we're called to create culture because we match a God that has given the creative ability to create us. And he's given us that capacity. In Andy Crouch's book, Culture Making, splashed all over the page of Genesis 1 is God's purposeful and energetic desire to create. Humanity, therefore, has the ability to reflect the creative capacity of our maker. We get to match God's creative desire to see what we're going to create. He created us. He created the world. And he said it was good. And he wanted us to produce that cultural mandate in all around, that's all around us. Nancy Pearson wrote this. The first phrase, be fruitful, multiply, means to develop the social world, build families, churches, schools, cities, governments, laws. The second phrase, subdue the earth, means to harness the natural world, plant crops, build bridges, design computers, compose music. This passage is sometimes called the cultural mandate because it tells us that our original purpose was to create cultures, build civilizations. And this is the, the main point here at the end here. Mission of God in culture. Our goal is not to erase cultural differences, but rather to seek ways to honor the presence of God in different cultures. And knowing my background, uh, me and my wife are both Asian American, we express the ways that we love God and know God, but in our cultural understanding, but that is something we can express to others in their cultural moment, in the, their cultural understanding. And knowing that difference and trying to appreciate that, the ability to see that is what God wants us in that beauty. And one of the things that, uh, there's a ministry in, in the city here called uh, the Revival School of Art. Uh, and I would recommend anyone that is, loves art and wants to teach that to, to teenagers especially, come, come, come talk to me. I'd love to intersect you with Michael Ramsey, the director of the Revival School of Art. 
But he established this ministry to reach out to the refugees in this area. And one of the things that uh, I went to go see the ministry and I was hanging out with them and he shares with all the, the, the teens that are right there, you are a gift to St. Louis. You and what you bring to St. Louis allows the St. Louis city know how you can express who you are to everyone here. And he's a Christian. All of them are learning who God is, but he wants them to express their culture through art. And the reason why that was driven so much in him is because he was noticing that these teenagers were growing up way too fast that were from Nepal, from Congo, from Syria, from Iraq, from Iran. And they were all growing up way too fast because they were learning English faster than their parents. They were translating for their parents in the hospitals. They were paying bills. They were doing everything that an adult would do because they knew how to speak English. And as they were learning that, they now wanted to be more Americanized than their past culture. And Michael was telling them, no, you need to capture your culture and express it and we'll help you express it through art. We'll teach you how to play guitar. We'll teach you how to paint. We'll teach you how to dance. We'll teach you how to any kind of art form. He, he even helped a Nepalese girl learn fashion and is tied with different uh, fashion vendors here in St. Louis now. But in that notion of creating your culture through, your, your, uh, through art, express your culture, he tells them that you have something to give to St. Louis. So he has a talent show two times a year and he shows St. Louis the expression of all these different cultures that are now here in St. Louis. And what a beautiful thing, again, if we embrace that. And we embrace more and more of what God is doing in bringing that into who we are and where we're at in this moment. So culture is the human attempt to understand the world around us. It's the programming that shapes who we are and who we are becoming. It is a social system that is shaped by the individual that also has the capacity to shape the individual. But it is also the presence of God, the image of God, the mission of God found in human spirit, soul, and social system. So now when we talk about the church and culture, it's so important to know what does it look like, a positive engagement with the culture, an exhibition of God's shalom becomes a significant act of witness to the world. So the way we connect with God and the way we connect with our culture and the way that we see the joy and the peace that we have with God is such a credible witness to those around us. And it can be a positive engagement in the way we get involved. So in every age and in every region of the world, the church needs to be concerned from the biblical sense of its cultural significance, never confusing the two but always relating them, only then can our reflections resonate well both with Scripture and with people's life situations. That's by a guy named Paul Metzner. He started a ministry called Resonate. And he thinks that the biblical truth that we need to hold on to, as well as the cultural significance, need to be entwined together to resonate. And too often we're expressing one over the other without really, again, focusing on both. And that is where God wants us to understand that it's not Christ against and Christ against this culture it's we are in this culture. We have culture, and he wants us to express that culture, and he can redeem all cultures. And he wants us to, again, be shown together in that beautiful picture in Revelation 7-9. But what's happened in our, in our church past here, specifically here in the U.S., the church becomes, though, a safe haven from God's judgment. So it is a, not a place where connection with culture is made, but it's a place for us to divorce ourselves from culture. From the world that's out there. This is our nice safe ship. This is our Noah's Ark. 
right? Come to church, worship God, and, and get connected with God's people, and we can be safe, and let's guard ourselves from those outside. I had a worship director that I worked with in one of my previous churches, and he said the way that the church expresses that now is that we built our walls and we built our moat around our church and tell people, don't come in unless you're ready to come into our kingdom, and we're going to start hucking Bibles and catapulting them into the city, right? Here's your Bible. Here's your food. If you're ready, come on in when you're ready. And that's not the expression that God wants, right? That's not what God wants in this expression of how we bring the shalom to the city. We are in a hostile, a very uh, pla- a place that wants to go against God's people. But at the same time, he wants us to be bring the shalom. He wants us to bring the peace. He wants us to bring that unity with God's people. That when we show that love for one another, the world will know. And unfortunately, we don't even love each other right now. This is no longer a safe haven. This is no longer a place of loving God and loving each other. This is a place that gets to express my own desires and my own spiritual or cultural moments. We need to, die to, to allow God to start massaging and maneuvering and allow us to see that picture of the Revelation 7-9. And what does that look like as God's people to really love us? And with that, again, what I said is I'm, I'm so thankful for Central West End because I know the ways you guys are getting involved in your city. You're getting involved in this area and that's what Revelation 7-9 task force is all about. We're trying to get all churches to engage in the one, three, five mile radius of their church. Know your neighbors. Know what's going on. Learn how to welcome them in and worship and love people so that they will come and journey with you in that journey with God. So again, you are part of a movement. You're part of what God wants to do through our denomination, not just our denomination. This is something that all denominations want to do and all God's people should be doing in the big C. So this was established, the Revelation 7-9 task force was established uh, in June of 2018. And why do we do this? Everything that I just expressed in our, in our scripture reading. And who does it make up? We have about 644 churches in the EPC right now. And of those, 80% of our churches are either leveling or declining. And what we're finding is that, again, they're not embracing this notion of revitalization by focusing on the great commandment and the great commission and knowing the people that are right around you. God's bringing the nations to us, as well as bringing all those pictures that we said are the other that we see that we should be seeing in Revelation 7-9 in heaven. And again, those empty spots that we first pictured in the, in the beginning of the service need to be the very thing that God wants to fill our hearts with now that we get to celebrate in heaven. So what do we get to do? We get to partner together. So I look forward to working with you guys. So Central, as well as you guys, we've been looking for things like the unity in the loop, just seeing how we can worship together, how we can serve together, how we can do things in this city to, again, reflect God and his togetherness for his people. And the more we do that, the more we'll break down the walls of hostility, the dividing wall of hostility that we know is here in our city that we know that is crippling us, but we know that God's people can make a change. God can do the impossible, and God will do what he desires in helping us see that perfect image of Revelation 7-9 in heaven expressed here for us on earth as we look forward to that time. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for just you, that you've written this beautiful story of a beautiful community. In Revelation 7-9, it shows us a picture of what we get to see in heaven. 
but that perfect image we get to express here imperfectly, but we desire so much to strive for it more and more. So humble us, lead us, that this no longer is just a safe haven for Christians, but it's a place for us just to express what it looks like to be on a journey with you, to love you, to love others, to love our neighbors, and to also to embrace all cultures that we're seeing the ways that you use that to help us find a beautiful picture of how we can learn and how we can grow in the ways that you're calling us to express you fully. So thank you again for this opportunity to be your community, to be your people, but this only through the power of Jesus and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So fill us, guide us, and lead us into those partnerships with your people that we would be a witness to the world that needs to know you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.